It's time to come to our Christmas devotional. Our service this morning is a little shorter. Service tonight. Tonight's service will be charted at about 50 minutes, all right? Just so you know, it's not an hour and 30 minutes or something. It's about 50 minutes is what we've gauged it at. We'll see how the Spirit leads on that, but uh, hope you can be with us. Father, thank you so much for these moments. Now, as we open your word and we devotionally turn to it, would you bring encouragement and strength to our hearts? The days that we're in are challenging, but we're thankful that you can rise to far greater challenges, and you are a great God. Remind us of that through your word today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My guess is all of us know the story of the wise men that came to worship Jesus. Of course, they didn't come on Christmas night. It took some time to arrive, but they got there. They worshiped. Uh, We don't know a whole lot about the wise men, but uh, church traditions fill us in on some other details. We suspect some of them are probably right, maybe not everything, but church tradition tells us, for example, there were three probably patterned after the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know for sure, but church tradition tells us their names, Casper, Melchior, and Belfazar. Uh, That's what church tradition says their names are. So interesting. We know something about the wise men. But do you know the story of the fourth wise men? Church tradition tells us that as well. It sometimes is forgotten or overlooked. There's a number of different uh, versions of it. Here's the one I like best. The wise men were together one night. There were four of them, and they happened to see this this incredible star. They were astrologers. They saw the star and they realized this star meant a new king had been born and they wanted to go and worship the king, pay homage to him. So they agreed that they would meet back at that very spot in several hours. They would go home, they'd get their camels, they'd pack some food, they'd pack some clothes. They would each gather a gift that would be suitable for the new king. So they scurried off to their four different homes, agreeing to meet back at that rendezvous spot in just a few hours. The fourth wise man, his name was Artabas. Oh, he was an interesting sort of guy, and he got into a real mess, sort of like everyday life. Artabas hurried home, and he gathered some clothes, and he gathered his camel and some food, and he he was ready to go meet his buddies. And on the way to meeting his buddies, he had also gathered his special gift, his gift, not gold, frankincense, and myrrh. His gift would be jewels, three of them, a sapphire, a ruby, and a pearl, three special gifts, spectacular gems, beautiful, worth a lot. He hurried off to the rendezvous spot. On the way to the rendezvous spot, he noticed on the road ahead of him, somebody was lying in the road. He got closer and he realized it was a man that needed help. As he got closer yet, he realized the man had been beaten and robbed and even stripped of his garments and he needed help and the man was just reaching his hand out asking for help. And Artabas knew that if he stopped and helped, he'd miss the rendezvous, traveling with his buddies to go worship the king. But he knew the man needed help, so he stopped and he bound the man's wounds. And he realized the wounds were severe enough that the man would need a long time to recuperate, several days. So he got him to an inn not too far away, took a while to get there. He knows he's going to miss his friends and the trip. But he gets this man to the inn. 
and he knows he's got to pay. He doesn't have a lot. So he reaches into his bag of gems and he pulls out the sapphire. He offers it to the innkeeper. The innkeeper agrees to care for the man and nurse him back to health. And so the wise man is then freed. He goes on his way knowing. He, he wonders if they waited, but of course they hadn't. They had to leave. They followed the star. He realized he had missed it. He knew where approximately they were heading, so he went home. He prepared for a much longer journey. It took him a couple of days. He prepared more supplies and headed off with just two gems. He finally got to Jerusalem, figuring that's where the king would be born. By that time, his three friends had already come and gone. They had worshipped and, and left the area. And King Herod had issued his great decree to wipe out all male children under the age of two because Herod had heard a king was born and he would have no king but himself. So he wanted all the children under two dead. Artaban was staying at an inn in Jerusalem. And that night you could hear the feet of the soldiers tromping through the streets, knocking on doors, looking for infants, young children, male children to kill them. At the inn door that he was staying, he heard the footsteps coming. The woman who ran the inn, she had a young son. He was only a year old. They knew he would be executed. Mother begins to weep violently. Artabus goes to the door and answers it, and the soldier standing there says, any kids here, any male sons here under the age of two? Artaban, not quite knowing what to do, reaches into his bag of treasure and pulls out, this time, the second gem, the ruby. And he offers it to the soldier, and he says, you could tell your superiors there are no male children in this house. The soldier looks at him, looks at the ruby, looks beyond, sees the crying mother. He knows what's going on. He smiles and takes the ruby and leaves. The child's life is saved, but now Artaban only has one gift left, the pearl. The story goes on to say that Artaban looked for this king for many years. He didn't realize Jesus had gone to Egypt with Mary and Joseph to spare the child's life from Herod's edict. He continued to travel and look all over for this king whose name was Jesus. Many years later, he heard of Jesus that he was in Jerusalem. So he traveled back to Jerusalem, and that day when he got there, he began to ask in the busy streets of Jerusalem, where's Jesus, where's Jesus? And he found people laughing, saying, yeah, they got him. They're taking him out to the place of the skull. They're going to crucify him today. Why would you crucify the king? Artaban didn't understand. But he began to head towards Golgotha, Calvary, place of the skull. And in his journeys through the busy city streets of Jerusalem, a girl, a young teenage girl, came running by, and, and she banged into him and bounced and kind of fell. And, and Artaban, oh, are you hurt? And he helped her up, and she was weeping. That's why she banged into him. She couldn't see. Her eyes were filled with tears. He said, what's wrong? How can I help? And she said, my father's in deep debt, and the soldiers are coming to take me, to sell me into slavery, to pay for his debt. 
Artaban said, that's not right. Just then a soldier came up, grin on his face, looking at the young girl and saying, you're coming with me. Artaban said, what is the debt of her father? The soldier told him. He did the only thing he could do. He reached into his bag of treasures and he pulled out the final gem, the pearl, and he offered it to the soldier to pay the price of the debt of the father. The soldier accepted the payment. The girl was not taken into slavery. But Artaban had no treasures left. That day, with his pouch empty, he went to Calvary. And he saw three crosses there in the center one, the cross of Jesus. And he realized this was the king he had searched for, but he had no treasures left to give him. And so as this version of the story says, that day Artaban gave him his heart, promised to serve him. Nice story, huh? As I was thinking about that story this week, I was just thinking how complex life becomes, how difficult it can become. Oh, we have our plan. Mary and Joseph undoubtedly had their plans. You know, they were engaged to be married, and, you know, they just wanted a little house with a white picket fence around it, two chariots in the garage. Everything would be fine. But life doesn't go that way, does it? Life has its turns and its heartbreaks and its overwhelming moments. And it presents a whole series of humanly impossible situations. Tensions and anxieties are high in our culture right now. There's social issues going on everywhere. There's certainly economic issues. War, political stuff, all kinds of things. And on the family level, we seek God in our families and our marriages now for a degree of understanding for more insight to handle the complexities of life. Alternate lifestyles have now not become alternate. They're now mainstream. Our families are torn apart. We're not sure what to do. And while we would want to give and do more for the Lord, we find ourselves consumed with the heartbreaking issues of life. On Tuesday morning, Emily and I leave for Western New York. Oh, we're going up to visit my sister, which is truly an impossible situation. There's no winds here. It's not the way life was supposed to be. It's not the way my dad had planned it for, for her. But it is what it is. Say, Dan, this is awfully dark and heavy for a no, No, you don't understand. We tend to overly sentimentalize the Christmas story. Oh, Mary and Joseph in a manger, you know, the baby Jesus and the shepherds came and the, the cow mooing. And the first Christmas was hard, really difficult. And I am convinced that in the midst of that, we learn the lesson that Christmas makes things possible that otherwise are impossible. Listen to the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 1. When the angel appeared to Mary. Oh, she was so excited. She was engaged to a fine young man, and they were going to have the little house and the white picket fence and the two chariots in the garage. But life didn't turn out that way. She was now going to be pregnant outside of marriage. 
and her fiance knew it wasn't his baby. And their friends and family would question it. And everything about the first Christmas turned difficult. And ultimately, the thing that seemed the most impossible, the salvation of a human being, became possible because of Christmas. God has promised to be with us. And maybe that's the Christmas reminder that you need today. Emmanuel, God with us. Whatever you're facing today, hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly disturbed at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never fail. How will this be, Mary? asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a, a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. This is God's reading of his word today, his word to us. I've highlighted that section, for nothing is impossible with God. This is in the Christmas story. Whatever you're facing today, Christmas brings new possibilities. I want to zero in on that statement today, for with God, nothing is impossible. Simple, straightforward. Too often Christmas is over-sentimentalized, and we lose this. This was a teenage girl pregnant outside of marriage. Her fiancé knew it was not his baby. Friends and family undoubtedly questioned where the pregnancy came from. They questioned both Mary and Joseph. As though that wasn't bad enough, they had a long journey to make to Bethlehem from Nazareth. About a three-day journey, as pregnant as she was, bumping along the roads. Donkey back, probably. It was a difficult trip, and they had to get to Bethlehem. Of all things, thank you, to pay a tax. It wasn't a fun first Christmas. And then King Herod issues us a decree that all male children under the age of two should be terminated. They must flee to Egypt to save the child's life. First Christmas is not overly sentimentalized, at least it wasn't meant to be. It's for people who face tough times. Christmas makes it possible. Going back to that incident that I just read, 
Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 29 says, Mary was greatly troubled when the angel appeared to her. Undoubtedly, she was afraid. She had questions. Uh-oh, angel, what does this mean? Angels don't show up every day to most of us. If they do show up regularly to you, we have a special place for you that we, you know, we can help you, hopefully. The angel announces to her that she will become pregnant. She says, how can this be? I haven't been with a man. Verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel responds, for nothing is impossible with God. The impossible situations of your life are cleverly wrapped packages to discover the power of God, and so many people don't get there. Even Christians don't get there. Maybe this is the part of the story that you need to hear again today, for nothing is impossible with God. Whatever you face, maybe this is the Christmas reminder that you need. Your God is quite capable. So bring your challenges to the Christmas scene today. Christmas can handle it. God can handle it. He has always promised to be with you. He is bigger and tougher than anything you face. He loves you. He has promised never to leave you, even when you doubt and leave him. He still cares. He will not forsake you. This is the hope that is found in Christmas. In the closing moments of this devotional today, I want to quickly bring you three incidents, three incidents that capitalize on this statement, for nothing is impossible with God. The first instance comes from our current study in the Gospel of Mark that we're taking a break from today. We've been in, uh, recently in Mark chapter 9, and just recently we saw this statement, for with God nothing is impossible. We saw it in Mark 9. A father brings his young son to Jesus, but he's up on the mountain and the disciples are there and the son is demonized, controlled by a demonic spirit of some kind and it's a horrible, horrible thing. The boy can't speak, he can't hear. And every now and then when the demon takes full control of his body, the boy goes into violent convulsions. The demon tries to throw the boy into the fire or into water to drown the boy. The father's beside himself. He doesn't know what to do, so he brings the boy to Jesus, and Jesus isn't even available at that moment. He's up on the mountain of transfiguration. And so the other disciples step in, and they fail. They can't cast the demon out. Finally, Jesus shows up on the scene. He comes down from the mountain, and the father turns with little hope left, and he says to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verse 22, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus picks up on that in the very next verse, verse 23, and he says, If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. There's our statement. You see, a lot of us today, when we run into the tough times of life, what we want to do is we want to trust self. We want to trust our abilities. We want to trust our skills, our cleverness, our capacities. 
Sometimes we just counsel ourselves and think this too shall pass. We'll get through it. But we have not really turned to him and trusted him who is the God of the impossible. Today, whatever you face, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you need to return back to him and trust him. Not self, not circumstances, not your genius, not your energies, not your creativity. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And he really does love you, and he knows what's best for you, and he's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. I promised you three incidents. That's the first. The, the second incident, it's actually in the next chapter in Mark. We'll come to it soon in our study. In Mark chapter 10, there's a very rich man, and he comes to Jesus looking for salvation, and he says to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? The thing is, Jesus knows this man better than the man knows himself. Jesus is God. He knows that this man is very wealthy and he loves his wealth. Nothing has been beyond his ability to acquire. There's one thing left, salvation. So he goes to Jesus, how do I get saved? Jesus knows that this man's God is money. And this man needs to stop seeing money as his God, and he needs to turn to the real God. So Jesus goes to work on this man, gets right to the heart of the issue. Jesus says to the man in Mark chapter uh, 10, verse 21, Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In other words, follow me. I'm God. Your money is not. Money's in the way here. It's not money, it's the guy's attitude towards money. Unfortunately, this was not the answer the man was looking for. He didn't want to give up his God. And so he looked down and he sadly turned around and left. It was a sad moment. Verse 23 says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Yes, it's hard. And he goes on and he talks about how it's easier for a camel to pass through the tiny eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. There are so many things that hold us back from experiencing God and his salvation. Sometimes it's our wealth, sometimes it's our power, sometimes it's our fame, our popularity, sometimes it's even our temptation. Sometimes we believe in ourselves. we think we are good enough. Sometimes we just don't understand God's plan and we get frustrated with him and we pray and things don't happen our way. And we lose faith. And we walk. As the disciples hear Jesus talk about how hard it is for people with other gods to really experience salvation, the disciples then respond and they say in verse 27, Jesus looks at them, well, the disciples ask, you know, how, how in the world is it possible for anyone to be saved? But this is the problem. And Jesus says to them in verse 27, he looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. There's our Christmas statement again. Because of Jesus, he has come. All things are possible with God. 
your riches or your desire for riches could keep you from God. Your mean-spiritedness and wanting to be in control of your own world, run things your own way, that could keep you from God. The sin of your life, if you have been a horrible, rotten, filthy sinner, can keep you from God because you would say he would never forgive me, a person like me. Boy, are you wrong. Some of you might be so good you think you don't need him. Boy, are you wrong. Don't let these things stand between you and God. Some of you have prayed for friends that don't know Jesus to experience salvation for years, and you look at your friend or you look at your loved one, and you say, that person will never come to Jesus. With God, all things are possible. This is what Christmas is about. I promised you three incidents. Here's the third. It's not in the Bible. It's your impossible situation. So today, right now, I want you to think about what's causing you anxiety, what's causing you loss of sleep. And some of you are thinking, which one? Bring them all. Pile them up. Christmas is bigger and more powerful than all of it. With God, all things are possible. You see, it's become humanly impossible to you because you're only looking at it from a human standpoint. And maybe for this moment, you've lost sight of the divine. He came for you at Christmas. You say, well, Dan, you don't know my situation. No, you don't know my God. With God, nothing is impossible. He loves you. He knows what you're facing. He has answers that you can't imagine. Maybe not the answers you're looking for. He will never leave you through the process. He will never forsake you. He is your great shepherd. Let him lead you. Let him provide for you. Let him comfort your heart today. That is the message of Christmas. He is the God of the impossible. Come back into his arms today. Crawl up into the manger with him. There's plenty of room. That infant in the manger of Bethlehem has more power in his little pinky than the universe has. Let the Christ of Christmas turn your impossible situations into possible things for his honor and glory. Live differently than the people around you in this world. Do you know that little song that takes each letter of Christmas, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S, and tells the Christmas story? Have you heard that? C is for the Christ child. Born on Christmas Day, H for herald angels in the night. R means our Redeemer. Okay, that one was contrived. I means Israel, S is for the star that shone so bright. 
T is for three wise men, they who traveled far. M is for the manger where he lay. A is for all he stands for. S means shepherds came, and that's why there's a Christmas day. Christmas brings hope. Christmas handles the impossible. Christmas makes it possible. Thank you, Father, for simple thoughts, a phrase like, with you nothing is impossible. We can go out of here today on that. We can find strength and hope, not in our circumstances or not even in the change of our circumstances, but we can find it in you. There will always be another one in this fallen world coming down the road. If we do not have you, we do not have possibilities. We are so very limited. Thank you for Christ that he has come. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.